Hello, incredible body of Christ, Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas, and welcome to other online viewers. Palm Sunday is an amazing time as it foreshadowed the cross and the resurrection. We're going to look at that together at Luke 19, some verses from Luke 19. I'll be reading along and making some comments along the way. Before we start, let's pray. Spirit of God, who has written the word of God, please teach the children of God that we would more appreciate the Son of God. And we pray this in the Son of God, Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 19, 29 to 41 is our text. And it came about that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which you enter it, you will find a colt tied, which no one has yet ever sat on, Untie it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you why are you untying it, thus you shall speak, the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent away and found it just as it had been told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their garments on the colt and put Jesus on it, and as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. I'm going to stop there. The first thing I want us to see in this passage is a problem. There was a problem. The Jewish nation was so fed up, tired, and annoyed and fearful of Rome, the Roman Empire that was oppressing them, that they wanted at any cost, by any means, to get rid of Rome. And so that was the problem they brought to their hearts when they came to that triumphal entry parade of Jesus on the donkey. But the elephant in the room was this. The real problem for the Jewish nation was not Rome. The real problem for the Jewish nation was personal and national sin. You may recall when the Lord Jesus' public ministry began and John the Baptist baptized the Lord in the River Jordan, the point of the message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven was at hand because the king was emerging in a public ministry at that time. So the elephant in the room was the need for repentance from sin, not to uh, have deliverance from Rome. It may be like the COVID-19 virus that's a pandemic. We may feel that the biggest need the world has is for healing, the stopping of the spread of the disease, and so forth. And of course, those things are things for which we pray. But the biggest problem in the world is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The fact is that sinners perish in sin and go to hell without Jesus Christ. That's the biggest problem in the world. So from a problem, I read verse 38, which will take us to a plea, saying, this is the crowd, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were pleading for their king to do something. They saw Jesus to be their king because of his miraculous powers and teaching, and they wanted him to do something. 
And so they were calling out, pleading for uh, political deliverance, as I've said, and there were opponents in that crowd. The religious leaders of all people were opposed to Jesus Christ, and they were rebuking uh, those who were calling him king because they felt threatened. Uh, they were in competition with Christ. They saw their cushy place in society, their affluence and their popularity and power being threatened by Jesus Christ. And so they say in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, that is Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, they said, Jesus, shut up these people who are calling you king. Make them be quiet. And Jesus' answer in verse 40 is wonderful. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, then the stones will cry out. Jesus was saying, if all these persons who were calling to me as their king were to stop calling to me as their king, then the rocks on the road all around your feet would cry out because it's so obvious I'm the king. The plea was a political plea. Reminds me in some ways of the prodigal son's father who was looking on the horizon for the runaway boy every day and when he saw the boy returning, he ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, put his finest robes upon him and threw a barbecue to honor the boy's return in repentance. And so it is that God the Father would have welcomed the repentance of the nation of Israel, but the leaders of the nation of Israel, the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel want no part of personal repentance or national repentance. So we've had a problem, the elephant in the room, Israel needing forgiveness of sin. We've had a plea. They've called out to Jesus as their king and asked him to do something. The religious leader opposing that. Now we come to a panorama, a panorama of things that Jesus actually saw with his eyes, but a panorama of things that he thought with his mind. In the first place, that gentle descent road, the triumphal entry road down the edge of the Mount of Olives. Beth and I have been there a gentle descent. On the left, as you approach the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem, on the left is the world's largest Jewish cemetery. It was the world's largest Jewish cemetery when Jesus first came on the Palm Sunday, and it remains to be the Jewish cemetery, which is largest of all in the whole world. And so here was the Lord Jesus coming down that gentle descent into the Kidron Valley toward the city of Jerusalem. And if he'd only glanced to his left, he would have seen all the graves all the places of the dead as a foreshadowing of his imminent death on the cross. But that wasn't the only part of the panorama. As I mentioned, the Kidron Valley was lying before him at the foot of the descent of this Palm Sunday road, a, a, a unique place, a place where the old Jewish temple's pinnacle jutted over the Kidron rocky valley and that's where Satan tempted the Lord. He took him to the pinnacle of that temple that overlooked the Kidron Valley. And he said to Jesus, jump, and your father will send angels to rescue you and catch you, be your parachute. Grandstand, showboat, be spectacular, and you'll get a greater following with Satan's temptation. So Jesus, as he's looking that over that valley, he sees that pinnacle where that temptation took place, but that's not all he saw. In that Kidron Valley, it was the garbage dump of the city of Jerusalem. A terrible, smelly, awful place. A place where dead animals were left to decompose. In some cases, 
indigent homeless bodies of dead persons were left to decompose in that valley. And all the trash, all the garbage of Jerusalem was thrown into that Kidron Valley. It was the dump, the city dump called Gehenna elsewhere in the New Testament. A picture, an illustration of hell where the flames of hell are never quenched. The flames of the garbage dump of the Kidron Valley never went out. This was all part of the panorama that Jesus saw. The Kidron Valley, the pinnacle of the temple, the Gehenna burning garbage. Then Mark 11, 11 tells us that once he did get to the end of that Palm Sunday road and walk through that Kidron Valley and into Jerusalem, he wept. Verse 41 of our chapter, and when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it. He was weeping over the nation's refusal to repent from sin. He was weeping over the rejection of the nation of him as their Messiah King. He was weeping that in 35 short years after the Palm Sunday event that the Romans would devastate, level, decimate the city of Jerusalem so no rock would be left upon another. He wept. And Jesus still weeps over sin. And then the last thing that I want to point out that he saw in the panorama was the Eastern Gate. On the other side of the Kidron Valley, on the uh, west side of the Kidron Valley, there was a gate in the wall of the city of Jerusalem. The actual gate, the eastern gate that Jesus saw at that time is now well underground. And so the gate that we have above the ground is not the authentic eastern gate. It's a replica. It's a replacement gate. But nonetheless, when Jesus came into the Kidron Valley and then into Jerusalem through that first original eastern gate. It was a picture of the prophet Zechariah's prophecy that I'll share with you a little later in this message. But let me, before I move off the eastern gate, let me point out that the real eastern gate, the eastern gate that is several uh, dozens of feet below the current earth's surface, has not been un, uh, unopened, excuse me, has not been opened since the time of Christ. And there's a reason for that, and I'll share that with you near the end of this message as well. So a problem, the, the elephant in the room was sin, needing repentance. The plea by the people was a political deliverance by a king, that it was opposed by the religious leaders. The panorama included the cemetery and the Kidron Valley and the trash heap and the pinnacle of the temple and the Eastern Gate. Really, it tells us that history is his story. History is his, H-I-S, separate word, story, S-T-O-R-Y. History is his story. All of history centers and revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why history is marked and divided into two parts by his birth. Uh, prior to his birth, it's B.C., before Christ. After his birth, it's A.D., Ad Domine, Latin for in the year of our Lord. So we had a problem, we have a plea, we have a panorama, and we have a prospect. Jesus Christ knew very well in the near prospect he would be going to Gethsemane. Uh, 
on the west side of the Mount of Olives. Uh, olive uh, populated trees of olive trees in this garden, gnarled big trees. Uh, there was Gethsemane where Jesus prayed for the Father to take the cup from him, but not his will, the Father's will be done. And the disciples were asked to intercede in prayer for Jesus and they fell asleep more than once. Then the arrest, they came for the Lord Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and arrested him and took him away to the trials that were to come. And so the prospect that Jesus had was Gethsemane, but the second prospect he had, he only had to look down uh, to the back of the foal of the donkey that he was riding. The, all donkeys are made with darker hair bristles in the shape of a big cross on the shoulder blades of the front legs on the back of these donkeys. And so all the Lord had to do was to glance down periodically to see what was under him on the donkey he was riding. It was a cross. It was the markings of the cross on that donkey. What a foreshadowing of his crucifixion. The problem? National sin needing repentance. A plea called for a king to get them out of the mess they were in. A panorama of the cemetery, the Kidron Valley, the temptation of the pinnacle of the temple. Gehenna, the garbage dump, the temple that Jesus saw was so wanting and lacking in, in worship, and then his weeping over the city of Jerusalem. Then the prospect, Gethsemane, right around the corner for him, and the cross pattern on the donkey's back. The last P of our outline is a prod. A prod, you use a prod, a stick to poke an animal along to get the animal to get working or pulling or whatever the case might be. And this whole account should be a prod to you and me. It should move us to action. What happened on the first Palm Sunday should be motivational uh, to all of us. And I want to give you three more Ps. I want to give you proclaim, ponder, and pray. Let's start with proclaim. The elephant in the room in the Bahamas and in the world is sin. And so we need to proclaim that Jesus Christ has died for sin, shed his blood, and arisen from the dead. That's the gospel. We need to be gospel proclaimers. And now with this virus, there possibly may never have been a more opportune time for us to proclaim the gospel than right now. People have questions, people have pains, people have fears, people have anxiety, people have uncertainty. Tell them about Christ, that he loves them, he's died for them and risen for them. They can know forgiveness of sin and purpose in life. Proclaim. It makes me think of the missionary Jim Elliott, who many years ago now with other men in a team was so concerned about proclaiming the gospel to the Alka Indians who had never heard the name of Jesus. They believed that they would perish without Christ. So in love and risk and effort, they went to them. And they had introduced themselves to them by flying low with airplanes and dropping them gifts and things that they needed. And they came for them to land on the beach and to meet the Indians. Well, the Indians didn't understand what was going on and they were fearful and aggressive. And with poison-tipped spears, the Indians speared all the missionaries to death. In a tributary of the Amazon River, their bodies floated. 
Jim Elliot, one of those missionaries, previous to his death, obviously, wrote a prayer to God in his journal. He said, Father, make me a crisis man, a fork in the road, that everyone who meets me would be forced to make a decision about Jesus Christ. That's what I pray, that I'd be a crisis man, a fork in the road. You could pray that too. That no one who would meet us casually or any other way, in any context, that they would have to make a decision about Christ because we are proclaiming Christ. And then there's ponder. This time of virus has given most all of us more time on our hands. Perhaps a great use of that time would be to make a personal timeline of God's working in your life. The main things, the points that you know he intervened in your life for his glory. My timeline might look like at age four, trusting Jesus to be my savior. Junior high, I started drifting away from the Lord and living in compromise. High school, my best friend drowning in Hawaii. God convicting me of my sin and my need to return to Jesus as Lord. Then meeting Beth, growing in love with her at Dallas Seminary and marrying, going to a great church in St. Mary's, Ontario, great believers. Being able to adopt a newborn daughter, we named Joanna. God moving us to another church in Beaverton, Ontario, great believers there too. Adopting the newborn baby we named Jonathan, David, or JD. Then the Lord moving us from that church to find family of believers in Milford, Pennsylvania. Then God moving us to the incredible body of Christ, Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, wonderful, wonderful church family. What would your timeline look like? Can you reflect and ponder over the good things God has done in your life, the corrective things God's done in your life, the way he's led you? That timeline can be a basis of witnessing your faith in Christ, telling others the great things that God has done in your life. Ponder. The last P is pray. We are very close, I believe, to the Eastern Gate being opened and the Lord Jesus Christ coming through that gate as the King of Glory. Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10, this prophetic window into the future at the second coming of Christ. Lift up your heads, O gates, may interject. That is the Eastern Gate that's now underground. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in into Jerusalem to take David's throne. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. I should tell you that Beth and I, when we were in Israel, we were standing on the uh, western edge of the Mount of Olives near the Kidron Valley, looking across the Kidron Valley at the current eastern gate that is above the ground, but knowing there was an original eastern gate that is underground, knowing that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will walk through the original eastern gate to assume David's throne in Jerusalem to rule and reign in the thousand-year millennial kingdom. And our Jewish guide, Misha, 
I'll never forget what he said. He said, where we're standing, the Radisson Hotel wanted to build a five-star hotel, but they did a seismological study, and there's a huge fault line right where we're standing, running from the Mount of Olives over to the Eastern Gate. <laughs> we looked at each other. Yeah, there is. Because another prophecy to do with the second coming of Christ in Zechariah 14.4, and in that day, the day of the second coming, and in that day, his, that is Jesus' feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. That's the valley the King of Glory is going to walk in to take the throne of David, walking through the original eastern gate, which will see daylight, sunlight, for the first time in centuries at the second coming event of Christ. Oh, what a Savior. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Oh, the King of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at Luke 19's account of Palm Sunday. May each of us take from it what the Spirit of God impresses upon our hearts by way of truth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we have lives of proclamation, lives of pondering, and lives of prayer. Lord, we pray that we fall in greater love with Jesus because of considering the Palm Sunday account together today. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.